Who's tired of bad news? Don't you just want something that makes you smile, laugh, or feel good? Whether you start your day with this podcast or listen when you need a mood boost, your daily chocolate is a quick, calorie-free way to feel good. In less than 15 minutes, you'll hear funny stories, clean jokes, and interviews with inspirational people. Your host, Patty Deutsch, is bound and determined to counterbalance all the negativity that's out there today. Just give yourself a moment to indulge in these bite-sized stories. It'll be good for you. My guest today is Terry Tucker, and he comes to us from Colorado. You might not know Terry's name, but he's got a very impressive background from playing basketball at the Citadel to being a marketing executive, a SWAT team hostage negotiator. The accolades go on and on. But what I find most impressive about Terry is not his career, but what he's doing in his personal life. He is the author of a book called Sustainable Excellence, 10 Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. And though you might think, okay, there's lots of motivational speakers out there who you know, can give you guidance, you need to know that Terry is a cancer warrior. He has been battling cancer for the past 10 plus years, has undergone two amputations, and yet he continues to not only reach for excellence in his own life, but he's focusing on helping others sustain excellence in their lives. How often do you meet somebody who's undergoing such incredible challenges, but their focus is on lifting up others? I hope you'll enjoy today's conversation with Terry. He inspired me, that's for sure. Terry, thank you so much for joining me on your Daily Chocolate. What an honor to have you. Well, thanks for having me on, Patty. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. I think so, too. Uh, you know, when, when I learned about you and what you've gone through career-wise and health-wise and just life-wise, it's inspiring. And so that's what I hope folks will will hear today. And so, I mean, you have had a really diverse career from marketing and executive to police officer and SWAT team negotiator to basketball coach. I mean, I'm not going to ask how you made those transitions, but, you know, which of those is actually tougher? You know, they're all tough in their own ways. I, I think being a police officer was probably the toughest, but I'll be honest with you, coaching, coaching girls high school basketball was incredibly hard and not so much from the, from the, you know, the player's perspective, but from the parents' perspective, you know, you had all these parents that acted like they'd played in the National Basketball Association <laughs> were giving me all kinds of advice that it was like, you know, I, I, I don't mean to be flippant, but I used to, at the parent meeting, I used to say, look, if you don't come to my office and tell me how to do my job, I won't go to your office and tell you how to do yours. So Amen. just yeah. let me coach your kids. Let me yell at your kids. Let me try to get the best out of your kids and help them understand what it means to be part of a team. And, you know, that's something that if they can learn it now when they're young, is going to do nothing but benefit them as they grow up. Absolutely. And I bet you some of your SWAT team negotiations came into play with those parents then too, huh? You know, it, it, it did, but I, I'll, give you, I'll give you a quick story. I, during a game, you know, I mean, I, I grew up playing basketball. I played it through high school and through college. And, you know, the reward for doing well in practice was always to get a shot at being in the game, to play in the game on Friday mm. or Saturday nights. And I'll, I'll never forget, we're playing a game, game's going on right, you know, on the court. And I pointed to one of the players and I said, you know, get in for so-and-so. You know, she nodded her head in the affirmative. And, 
you know, I went back to coaching and I look over kind of out of the corner of my eye at the scores table and there's nobody there. So I look back at it and I'm like, get in the game for so. I was like, okay, yeah, sure, no problem. She starts to take her warm up top off. A few seconds later, I look over, there's nobody there. And I looked at her and I'm like, get in the game. Now she's shaking me off like a major league pitcher, you know, with this catcher. <laughs> like, no, I don't like that sign. You know? I'm like, what? You're telling me no? So I, here I am, literally, I bring her to me and we're having a counseling session, basically, yeah. in the middle of a game. And, and I said to her, why don't you want to play it? And all of a sudden, the tears start down her cheeks. She's like, well, I'm afraid I'm going to make a mistake and my friends in the stands are going to make fun of me. Oh, and I gosh. looked at her and I said, what about your responsibility to the members of the team. What about every day you come out here and work hard and practice to get yourself and your teammates better? And eventually, over a few minutes, I got her to go in the game. And I thought, oh, my God, I've never had somebody that was shaking me off like they didn't want to go in the game. So it, it was, like I say, sometimes I think that might have been the toughest job I had. Oh, yeah. And and what if you succeed? What are your friends going to think of you then? Yeah. So exactly. I mean, you're, all, you're automatically going to the negative. You know, yeah. why are you doing that? I, I mean, I know you're going to make a mistake. I mean, if we right. were all perfect, we wouldn't practice. Right. So, exactly. Know, that's why we practice. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what, what a great story. Um, so I know that you have been battling cancer for quite some time. And I don't want to go through all the horrific treatments that you've had and, you know, the amputations. Uh, you know, I mean, God bless you. But you have this incredible outlook. I mean, first of all, were you... A, a optimist growing up or did you have to have some hard lesson that made you kind of change your outlook? I think I was, I was very lucky growing up. I mean, I, you know, my story is not the one where, you know, my dad was an alcoholic and he beat my right. mom and my brother's not. Yeah. I mean, I had grandparents who supported yeah. us, loved us, cared for us, showed us what a family was all about. You know, I think like anybody else, I had my ups and downs. You know, there were times where I saw the glass is half empty. And then other times I saw the glass is half full. But when I got cancer, it, and I'll, I'll never forget this, you know, I, I'm having a doctor tell me that he's been a doctor for 25 years and he's never seen this form of cancer that I have. I have a rare form of melanoma. But I think I went through all the stages that we would associate with grief. Yeah. You know, first Anger. it was denial. So I, I can't possibly have cancer. I've done everything right in my life. And then I got mad. And, and then I sort of bargained with God. Our daughter was in high school at the time and was like, look, just let me live long enough to see her graduate from high school. And then I got a little bit depressed. And then I got to a point where it was like, you know what? This, this sucks, but I'm going to have to embrace the suck out of this. I'm going to have to <laughs> say, that, you know, these are the cards that I've been dealt. Don't like the cards. Don't like this hand but I'm going to have to play it to the best of my ability. And I made a decision early on that I would never take out my misfortune on a doctor or a nurse or a therapist or somebody that was trying to help me. And I've seen that a lot. I, and, yeah. and I understand why people are scared. You know, people are nervous and anxious and they just project that onto, you know, a healthcare worker that's trying to help them. I made a decision early on. I'm not going to do that. I know those people are there to help me. It's not their fault I got cancer. But they're they're there to try to make my life better. So why would I try to make theirs more miserable? Yeah, yeah. And often I think if you don't get the answer you want, you want to find somebody who will give you that answer. And yeah, exactly. And you know, I mean, I've always wanted my life to be shaped based on the decisions that I made, not on the ones that I didn't make or that somebody else made for me. And I 
I've certainly seen people that are, you know, that they get cancer and they turn their entire life over to somebody with a lot of initials after their name and yeah. stuff like that. And that, that's never been me. I ask a lot of questions. I am lucky. I am at a, a university setting. So I have access to, you know, an oncology pharmacist and things like that. And I'll read an article about, for example, DHA, which is a fatty fish oil that's good for your heart. Mm. And I've read about these doctors in Portugal that were, were doing experiments with DHA and just sort of by happenstance found out that it, it acts like a Trojan horse in cancer cells, that they pick it up and, they, and it kills them. Really? And I thought, oh, this is great. You know, yes. why not? So I went to my oncology pharmacist and I said, I'd like to take this. And she's like, well, let me research. I'll get back to you. And she came back. She said, we don't want you to take it because you're on a blood thinner for a blood clot that I had in my lung as a result of a treatment. And she said, DHA causes you to bleed more than Ugh. something else. So DHA plus your blood thinner could potentially be a fatal combination for you. So don't take it. Okay. That makes sense to me. Right. I'm able to understand that, but I'm not just like, well, whatever you say makes sense. I'm at least willing to challenge you and make you explain it to me. You know, not don't talk Dr. East, right. talk something that I can understand. <laughs> yeah. Through all of this, I mean, I think you have obviously learned some incredible lessons and you've kind of put together a survival guide and it's not just for people with cancer. I mean, it's for people with life, right? And I know you've got 10 principles and I've, I've looked at them and they're, they're, they're not just rules, you know, you must do this. They're really tenets on how to make life kind of worth living, you know, whatever you have. Can, I, I don't want to give it, them all away because I want people to go check them out. But can you share just a couple of them with us? Sure. So these are basically the 10 principles of my book. And the book is called Sustainable Excellence, The 10 Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Lives. And it's always fun for me as an author when somebody reads the book, because there's always each, each principle is a chapter within the book. And there's always one principle that seems to resonate with the reader and that's always a great starting point when somebody reaches out to me and says, hey, I like number eight. And, and they're not in any particular order. You know, number one isn't any more important than number seven or anything like that. But the one that that really resonates with me, and I think it does because I'm almost ashamed to say I've done it probably more times in my life than I care to admit, is this. Most people think with their fears and their insecurities instead of using their minds. And I know I've done that. I know yeah. I've wanted to do something and it's been like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe I, I'm not smart enough. Or I maybe can't I do don't that. know enough. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, what are people going to say if I fail? That's thinking with our fears and our insecurities. That's not thinking with, this might be a good thing for me to do. And especially when I talk to young people, I always tell them, if there's something in your heart, something in your soul that you believe you're supposed to do, but it scares you, yeah. go ahead and do it. Because yeah. at the end of your life, the things that you're going to regret are not going to be the things you did. They're going to be the things you didn't do. And by then, it's going to be too late to go back and do them. So that's that's one that I, I talk a lot about. Uh, you mentioned I was a hostage negotiator. There's a whole chapter in there on listening. And some people, you know, some things are like, well, listening, of course, we all listen. I'm like, no, it's not, it's not listening to respond. It's not like, you know, hurry up, Pat, and say what you're going to say, because I want to get my two cents in there. It's more right. listening to understand. Okay, Patty, I heard yeah. what you said. I may agree with you. I may not agree with you. 
but let's talk about where you're coming from with this. Help me understand where you're coming from. And so the, the importance of doing that, and I think, you know, as a society, if we did a better job of that, we probably would be in a better place right now. There's one that's, it, it, and it sounds kind of weird. It's you are the person that you're looking to become. So even though you may not be that person now, you actually are that person. You just haven't gotten there yet. And and that's ah. what's kind of a little deep. You know, you, you're sort of going to look yeah. at <laughs> you know, what you want and what your goals are and what your talents and, and skills are. And it's like, you know what, that's that's down the road, you know, but that's not me. Well, yeah, that is you. You just haven't gotten there yet. You're basically saying it's it's within you to become that. Right. It, it totally. Absolutely. And, and, you know, and I always encourage people, you know, you were given certain unique gifts and talents, huge stuff. I mean, there are certain things that you probably like or, and enjoy that I wouldn't and vice versa. And and those are based on the gifts that you've been given. So go with that, you know, go and, and do the things that you enjoy. And, you know, I, I talk a lot about purpose in life and we always think that our purpose has to be you know, our job or our occupation. And and while it would be good, if it can be, it doesn't have to be. You know, your purpose can be over here. You know, you you write or you paint or you're a podcast host or whatever, but you've got a job over here and that's what you do to pay the bills. So right. they don't have to be the same. If they can be, you know, so much the better, but don't feel like, oh my gosh, I'm doing something that, you know, it's just pays the bills, but it's not my passion. My passion's over here. Follow your passion. Yeah. I, I totally agree. And I, and I say that, you know, uh, to young people too. find something that you're passionate about. And it's hard to do that when you're young and you haven't experienced a whole lot yet, you know, and so you kind of have to do the get a job to pay the bills and put the passion aside. But boy, if you can meld those two, what a great life. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and if you can, if you can learn from that, you know, yes, that may not be my stopping point. But can I learn something? And, uh, you know, my first two jobs out of college were in the business world. And then I pivoted to law enforcement. And I was really glad I had those jobs. They were not my passion. They were not my purpose. But they taught me things. They taught me the the ability to talk to people, which as a police officer, if you can do that, you could be a pretty good cop. If you can't talk to people, you're going to be miserable doing that job. (laughs) Especially as a negotiator, for sure. Absolutely. There, there's a big fail right there. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about the uh, the impact of the 40% rule on you. And uh, first explain what it is. I, I have a, my wife and I have a friend. It's actually uh, somebody who my wife works with, uh, who's a former Navy SEAL and just a super guy. He'll call me on my, my weeks off when I'm not in treatment, just to check up on me and stuff like that. And, and sometimes we'll talk about the 40% rule, which basically says, think about Navy SEALs. They're some of the toughest people in the world. And and their rule is that, you know, if you're done, if you're at the end of your rope, if you can't go on, you're only at 40% of your maximum and you still have another 60% left to give to yourself. So I, I, I don't want your audience to think that, you know, there's an S on my chest and I fly around with magical powers. You know, I have bad days during my cancer treatment. There are days I cry. There are days I feel sorry for myself. There are days I'm just down, but that's one of the stories, you know, thinking about the 40% rule that keeps me going, that keeps me moving forward. The other story is about um, a professor at Johns Hopkins University back in the 1950s who did an experiment with rats. 
And as soon as I say rants, everybody gets like, oh, I mean, this is not going to be. But trust me, hang with this. This is okay. a good story. He took rats and he put them in a tank of water that were over their head. And he wanted to see how long the rats could tread water before they would sink and drown. And the average rat treaded water for about 15 minutes. And just as they were getting ready to drown, he reached in, grabbed them, pulled them out, dried them off, and let them rest for a while. And then he put the exact same rats in that exact same tank of water. And the second time around, those rats treaded water for 60 hours. What? Now think about that. 15 minutes. I'm just not going to fail. I'm going to die. Second time around, 60 hours, which told me two things or taught me two things. Number one, the importance of hope in our lives. That we have to believe that maybe not today, maybe not next week, maybe not even next month, but sometime down the road, our life will get better. And number two, which kind of dovetails with the 40% rule story, is that our bodies can handle so much more than we ever thought they could. I mean, I certainly believe everybody has kind of an end point, you know, that, hey, I just can't go on anymore. But my experience has been that endpoint is so much further down the road than we ever give ourselves credit for. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, you can see that in everyday examples, right? You know, going for a walk and, you know, you, you get out two miles and you turn around and you think, oh, my gosh, I'm not sure I can make it home. You make it home. Sure. You know, it, it's like a horse to a stable, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. You know where the food is. It, it, get, it gets tough. It gets tough, but, you know, you keep on going. Right. So what are your four truths? So my four truths are, are what I like to call the bedrock of my soul. There, there are four things, <laughs> four sentences. I have them on a post-it note here in my office. So I see them multiple times during the day and they constantly get reinforced in my mind. So the first one is control your mind or your mind is going to control you. The second one is embrace the pain and the difficulty that we all experience in life and use that pain and difficulty to make you a stronger and more resilient individual. I just said that message. I have a friend of mine who just had uh, knee replacement surgery yesterday. I, I texted her this morning. I'm like, you know, how you doing? She's like, oh, the pain. I said, use the pain to make you stronger. And the third one I look at is kind of a legacy truth. And it's this, what you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. And then the fourth one, as long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. And like I said, I use those. They're, they're kind of a bedrock of my soul. I use them. They're a good place to build what I think is a quality life from. Yeah. So do you find, is it easier to kind of do this uh, preventively as opposed to, you know, you talk about your friends going through pain and, and you give them these truths and it's like, yeah, Terry, easier said than done. You know, but if you if you like instill this into our young people as a foundation on which to build, do you have any experience doing that versus the other? And is it easier? I, I think it's is it easier? No. I, no. I, I and you know, like I said, I, I don't I don't have all the answers, you know, and yeah. these work for me. Maybe they don't work for you, or maybe yeah. one or two of them works for you. And I and I always offer them and say, you know, if something worked for you, take it, incorporate it into your life. But if it doesn't work for you, figure out what does, you know, yeah. what, what works for you. And I think the, the biggest one is, is the mind aspect. Yeah. You know, I, I mentioned I played basketball. I played basketball in Chicago and I, I played with a guy who ended up going to Indiana University and playing for a man by the name of Bobby Knight. 
Everybody knows Bobby Knight. Everybody, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but, you know, we used to talk in the summer when we, when we would come back to Chicago and, you know, I would ask him what night was like. And he said, you know, Knight's got this philosophy or this saying, and it goes like this. Mental is to physical as four is to one. So here's this great coach teaching elite athletes to use their bodies to be great basketball players on the court. But what he's really saying with that, with that quote is that your mind or your mindset is four times more important than anything your physical body is going to do. We all become what we think. So if yeah. we're thinking a bunch of negative things, if we're thinking, I can't do this or the glass is half empty, you're going to become that person because right. your brain is going to get hardwired with those thoughts that you're putting in. And the interesting thing is the same part of your brain that lights up when you're physically doing something. So, you know, I'll just use a basketball example, you know, shooting free throws is the same part of your brain that lights up when you think about shooting free throws. So if you yeah. understand that, it's real important to be careful what goes into your mind, what goes into your brain, and what you constantly think about. Because like I said, well, you're going to become what you think. I wish that was true in golf. Because <laughs> I, pic I picture these great drives. And I'm telling you, Ty, they don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> I used but to I know say I played naval golf, golf, which is every one of my balls found the water so oh, yeah. you know it's like you know. <laughs> teach them to swim yeah yes. <laughs> i love it okay so you've talked a little bit about your police days and you have a phrase that you have taken from that motivational check yeah motivational check was a phrase that our defensive defensive tactics instructor in the cincinnati police academy <laughs> gave us that we could yell out at any time. And, and we did some pretty crazy things. This guy was a little bit over the top. I mean, we ran a marathon. We would you know, run to a fountain, you know, this really nice high-rise apartment building had this fountain on it. And we were all getting the fountain and we would do extra, we would do push-ups <laughs> and sit-ups and stuff like that. I mean, it was, it really was kind of crazy. But he gave us this phrase, motivational check, that, you know, anytime we felt, you know, I'm just, just don't think I can go on. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. Whatever it was that you could yell out. And the rest of the class, we were the 84th recruit class in the Cincinnati Police Academy. We would yell out with a loud, you know, 84, just to let that person know that, hey, we're all in this together. We're all hurting, but we'll get through it together. If this is not an individual thing, you know, that was the great thing about being a policeman. You could always get on the radio and say, I need help. And everybody right. and their brother would show up. So that was that was one great thing about being a cop. And so, you know, when I was looking for something to call my blog, which I, I put a thought up every day, motivational check just seemed to kept come to keep coming to the forefront of my mind. So that's what I named my blog motivational check. And that's kind of where it comes from. And how can people um, access your blog? Uh, again, the blog is called Motivational Check. So motivationalcheck.com. If you go okay. there, like I said, I put up a thought for the day every day. With that thought comes a question of maybe how you could apply that in your life. I have recommendations for books to read, videos to watch. My social media links are there. And you can leave me a message if there's something you want to ask me about or, or something you want to tell me. So motivationalcheck.com will get you to me. I love it. And you also, your, your ebook, you talked about sustainable excellence uh, that is free to download. 
It is. I, I started a membership. People were asking, you know, after he, either hearing me speak or on podcasts or read the book, that they kind of wanted to go deeper than, yeah. you know, what, what I had in the book. And I was really kind of hesitant to start a membership, but eventually, you know, I, and again, I'm, I'm not the most creative guy in the world. So I called it the sustainable excellence membership. And, and so sustainable excellence membership.com. If you go there, uh, go down to the bottom of the first page, you can download a free copy of sustainable excellence. And what I loved about the book um, is it's not just like psychological babble. You have great stories in there that back up all of the 10 principles. So it makes it very easy to read and relate to. Yeah, it, it's, not a, it's not a long book. It's about 120 pages. Yeah. And it, they, they really are. They're, they're real stories about real people that I think illustrate the principles. So it, it's not like, you know, oh, this never happened. Yeah, that really did happen. It, you know, I, I could probably point you to the person that it happened to. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, wonderful. Terry, I always like to end with rapid fire questions. So. Go for it, Patty. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Who's your favorite basketball player? Um, I'm going to say Michael Jordan because I got to play against him when I was <gasps> a senior in, in high school. And my youngest brother coached his two sons in high school. So when you played against him, did you win? No, we did not win. It actually, it was <laughs> the year he played for North Carolina. It was the year North Carolina won the national championship. So I got to play against a, a national championship team my senior year in college. I love it. Okay. Who actually, who or what motivates you? Oh, my family. Uh, you know, I talk about my three Fs, which are faith, family, and friends. I have a tremendous faith in God who I think has kept me here for a reason. My family, my wife and daughter, it's just the three of us, you know, would not be here without them. And yeah. then my friends, you know, I think when you get a terminal or a chronic illness, you certainly find out who's going to be in the foxhole with you. And uh, I, I've been very fortunate to have some great people there with me. I love it. Uh, is there a great book that you've read recently? Yeah, there is. As a matter of fact, it's called Legacy. It's written by uh, a man by the name of James Kerr. Uh, it's about the New Zealand national rugby team, mm. who by all intents and purposes is probably the most successful sports franchise in any sport in any country of all times. Is that the All Blacks? The All Blacks. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I actually, I don't know, you probably can't see it behind me. I have an all black hat. I did a podcast with a gentleman in New Zealand and he sent me the hat, you know, ah. and it was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> you know, thank you. And that, so, yeah, I, I mean, it really talks about their philosophy. And I even think back among my old life, you know, where it, I think the two most important things that they look at when they're bringing a new teammate or a coach on is certainly technical competence. You've got to be good. But the two other things are character. What kind of person are you? You know, how do you handle losing? And two, humility. Yeah. You know, do you do you have all the answers? And I think back on all my job interviews over my life where I went into them thinking, boy, I better have all the answers to these questions or I'm not going to get the job. And what the what the all blacks say is we don't expect you individually to have all the answers, but us collectively, us together as a team, will figure out the answers to whatever we need to we need to figure out. Yeah. That's so important to, I mean, you, you've talked about that several times, either with your family or your, or your teams, having that support and having that community. Yeah. Nobody's, nobody's successful in a vacuum. You know, right. no, there's no such thing as an overnight success. I mean, people fail. I think the road to success is paved with failure. And I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're an individual sport or, or a singer or whatever. 
there's people backing you up. There's people helping you out that got yeah. you to that point. And, you know, the, the mature ones are the ones that have figured that out and are grateful for that. Yeah, absolutely. So interesting that you would just bring up the book Legacy, because my next question is, what do you want your legacy to be? You know, I, I've been asked that a lot. I, I don't have any great, <laughs> you know, nobody's going to name a basketball court or a street or <laughs> or anything after me. And, and I'm not sure I want, want them to. I guess I just hope that, you know, Mother Teresa said once that um, God doesn't want us to be successful. He just wants us to be faithful. Mm. And, I, and I hope that... I have been faithful throughout my life. I know when friend Rogers, Mr. Rogers died, they were cleaning out his stuff. And, and in his wallet, there was a piece of paper that said, life is for service. So I, I, yeah. I like to think that I did what I was supposed to do when I was here. I found my purpose and I lived it. And I lived a life of service. I love it. Okay. And lastly, because this is called your daily chocolate, what's your favorite chocolate? Lord, what's my favorite <laughs> chocolate? It would probably either be chocolate-covered raisins or chocolate-covered almonds. I'm, I'm, I don't know if I could make a distinction between the two. <laughs> those are absolutely my... If you give me those, I'd weigh, I'd weigh 500 pounds. I swear. I, I, <laughs> I'm thinking that's good for cancer, though, especially if it's no, dark chocolate. <laughs> dark chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> yes, dark chocolate. There you go. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Terry, thank you so much for joining me. I mean, uh, love everything that you're doing. As much as you're going through, you are lifting up other people as well. And so I appreciate that. And I thank you. Well, Patty, thanks for having me on. I, I always say it's nice people that, like you that allow me to come on and have a conversation with them. And if our conversation makes a positive difference in somebody's life, today's been a good day. Yeah, I agree. Oh, my gosh. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. And I do hope that you'll check out his free book, Sustainable Excellence. You can download it very easily, The 10 Principles to Leading an Extraordinary Life. I know it's easy to say, don't quit, keep your chin up. Like he said, embrace the suck. <laughs> I love that. And, and I would venture to guess that most of us are not going through the kind of challenges he is. So if he can do it, why can't we? As usual, if you liked this episode, Please review it, send us comments, share it with people that you think might need to hear this message today, and stay tuned. Next, we've got another great episode coming with Kimberly Spencer, who's got a company called Crown Yourself, and she is not only inspirational, but very entertaining. I think you'll enjoy listening to her as well. Hey, have a great week. We'll talk to you next week. 